Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be talking about stepping into your own power, overcoming the imposter syndrome, and embracing your true success. And so I thought I would start with a quote I am sure by now all of us are familiar with, but it's still a nice reminder and a good way to introduce what we're going to be discussing this hour. It's the Marianne Williamson quote where she says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking to that other, so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. We should all have that oh, it's so taped up in our house. Yes. And it, it resonates. You can feel it in your heart when you're listening to it, which for me is a sign of truth when you can actually feel it in your heart that this makes sense. And I physically sat up straighter when you were reading that. So I, I think that's a very, very powerful and a great way to open this, this show. So many of the people we're talking to lately have been, I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to you know, start my business or take this leap of faith or move in this new direction. I'm tired of playing small. And I think as empaths, we limit ourselves through imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? Exactly what Marianne Williamson just said. I'm a fake. I just got lucky. You know, not being able to accept a compliment. And some of the signs of imposter syndrome might be a lack of self-confidence or anxiety, doubts about your own thoughts, abilities, and accomplishments, negative self-talk, dwelling on past mistakes and not feeling good enough. And I think for all of us, this can manifest as we don't internalize our own success or we're so damn afraid we're going to make a mistake and do it the wrong way. I agree. I think sometimes that fear of success is stronger than that fear of failure. Once we recognize that most people have imposter syndrome, it does make things easier. Don't you believe that most people are walking around going, how the heck did I get hired for this? Or gosh, if they only knew. Well, that, that's funny you said that because the International Journal of Behavioral Sciences marks it at about 70% of people suffer from imposter syndrome, which I think is... Wow. A, and I think, and, it, and then it went on to say women more so than men, and, and I'm not being gender biased. I just think because of the way we've been brought up or trained or acclimated by society, we may hold ourselves back a bit more, historically speaking. But right. also, if, it, if you take that and then you add being an empath on top of it, holy moly, that, that's a double whammy. Marie Forleo did this incredible uh, episode and clip on this. And one of the things that she really came out with was she, had, she gave six little techniques that you can do to break through this imposter syndrome. One of them is share the shame because a lot of the, the stuff that holds us back is shame. It's old loop tapes, it's old messages or 
we are so afraid we're going to make that mistake or do it the wrong way or not be good enough. Or don't you feel like this kind of ties in with a lot that we've talked about with family of origin stuff and being the sensitive one and always trying to navigate the world from a different perspective? Oh, I definitely do. I do think sharing the shame is such a great tip to negating this inner critic of I'm an imposter voice that many of us carry in our head. And if you haven't heard of Brene Brown, I would recommend reading her book on shame if you're if, you, if any of this resonates with you. I remember, Denise, before you go on to her other points, I just have to share this whole story. I'm a history major. I wanted to be a history teacher. And I stumbled into this job writing for the newspaper. And through that, through stumbling into that job, I stumbled into a job at the community college teaching creative writing. But then, you know, there's only so many creative writing classes. And to fill out a full-time gig, I had to end up teaching a couple of English classes. Well, I'm not an English person in terms of grammar and, you know, classical literature. And so I spent a year cramming all the classics. I got them all on CD at the library and I would listen to them on the way to school and on the way back. I would spend nights reading grammar books so I knew what I was talking about. Finally, one day at the copier in our English department, I just shared my shame with another coworker. And I said, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm trained as a history teacher. And she turned to me and she said, oh, Samantha, nobody knows what the hell we're doing. That's why they give us all textbooks. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely agree. Share the shame. Okay, what's the next point here? I also want to add uh, Brene Brown's TED Talk. Google it. Watch it. It's, It's fantastic. Uh, I love I'll post it on our Facebook page. Yeah, she is. She really nails it. She brings it again, brings it home to heart. And another thing with the shame is a lot of high achievers feel this way. So exactly what you just said, you didn't just fold and say, oop, too much for me. You worked and you raised the bar for yourself to learn the skill set you needed to be successful. And that seems to be kind of go hand in hand with a lot of people that do try to fight through the shame aspect. Another one was she, her, her words, not mine, shine your light out, not in. And it was basically, she was talking about if you're feeling uh, like you're collapsing in on yourself and is turn that around. And that, that magic phrase we use all the time, how can I be of service? What is it about the person I'm talking to? What about my customer? What about my family? So take the focus off yourself and, and direct it towards someone else so that you can't get in your head and um, feel like you're a fraud. Because if, you, if you're stepping out to help someone else, you can't be tangled up in your own crap. And I think that's a beautiful suggestion. I agree. Um, you know, our favorite, how can I be of service? And this one, you already do. The next one she mentioned, she says, start a a hype file. And you already do this. You've shared this, that you have a file where you have nice things people have said or kind emails or gratitude. And, you know, that's another way to get over this is when you really start to doubt yourself is go back and revisit some of the things that people have said that, okay, now let's be honest though. Sometimes when we read those and we feel good for a minute, but I think if we have, if we're really, really suffer from this affliction of imposter syndrome, we don't 100% believe it. We take it, we say thank you, we do all that stuff, but we have to work so damn hard to try to accept it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I think we believe it in the moment we're reading it, or we believe it for that person. And, but I don't know that we always believe it for ourselves. Right. And, and I mean, she also suggests tracking successes and failures and what did I learn from this instead of always focusing on what went wrong, you know, keep, keep redirecting yourself to some things that went right and that you did well. Mm -hmm. And this was my favorite. You know, what freaks me out real quick. Yeah, yeah. A couple of people who listen to this show and, and my psychic teachers podcast will quote me on Instagram. Oh, and I'll fo like I follow a lot of listeners on Instagram and I'll be scrolling through my Instagram feed and I'll read this quote and I'll go, Oh, I like that. That's good. And then it says my name <laughs> and I totally freak out. Like it's the weirdest feeling. And then I think, did I really say that? And I'll Google it and I'll think, my gosh, what if I, cause I read all the time. What if right. I took someone else's words and didn't know, and here I am a plagiarist. No, they're my words, but, Every time that's happened, and it's not a lot, it's maybe a handful of times, but each time I always have this <gasps> feeling of, don't quote me. Okay. It's weird. But, but I mean, when I was like digging around, finding some information for this show, Maya Angelou, I mean, to me, one of the most beautiful writers, I love, love, love her work. And she's quoted as saying, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. Jodie Foster was another one. When she got the Oscar, she said, I think it was a fluke and they made a mistake and it wasn't really for me. Yep. So these are... Or Sally Fields. Remember her acceptance speech? Yes. When she got the Oscar? You like me. You really like me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other one was uh, Jennifer Lopez. So in, she's quoted as saying... Even though I'd sold 70 million albums, I'm not really good at this. And so here we are in trying to find our own light. I think it helps when we see people that in, are huge and, you know, they, they, they're out there. They have hit the vulnerable button 150%. They're very exposed. Their lives are under a microscope and they're feeling the same way. I think that's very inspiring. I do too. I really do, too. Um, you know, there were the two other things that Marie For Forleo suggested. One of them was get a go-to mantra. So when you do start falling in the hole, have something. And she used colorful language, which I love. Literally, and for me, when I really start to get too much in my head, I'll say colorful word, colorful word, buck up, Denise, enough. And that's my trigger word. And that's what she's saying, because supposedly from research and, and the studies they've done, motivational self-talk if you say it to yourself in the third person you're let you'll have less anxiety and your uh it'll help you to perform better so i think and especially like if you use your first name like buck up denise or enough of this blank blank samantha you know whatever your word is, yeah have your have your little mantra that you can trigger so that it will refocus you to okay it's time to to face this shit and move forward uh the last one again we've, we've talked about this a lot was to be humble and you know admit if you don't know something and don't make it about you i think it, all of these tie together though especially as empaths we don't want to become we don't want to seem like we know more than we do or that we're a big deal or that we're exactly what you just said that it surprised the hell out of you that you that people are quoting you which i think is 
look beautiful and fantastic. That humility part, it doesn't feel like there's such a fine line between the two. Yes, there really does. Because I, when you said that, I thought, be humble. I think that's my block to success is sometimes I'm too humble. Yes, it ties in too with you can read the nice things people say and okay, this is a really learned behavior for me was if someone gave me a compliment, being able to just smile and say thank you and not Mm -hmm. discount it, not ignore it, not make less of, you know, oh, I got this marked down 50% or, you know, instead of, which goes back to what we talked about last week of not have to explain who we are or what we're doing. And I feel like this resurgence we're all having to step up a big part of it is putting this imposter stuff down. We can't do this anymore. Exactly. And I also think a part of this is sharing your successes or your hope of successes with the right people. Yes. Because I think there are people around us who can sabotage this and enhance our imposter feeling for us. I remember when I did start teaching grammar at the community college and I was understanding it and, you know, I was pretty good at it and I was really enjoying it. My older sister came home for the holidays and she was like, you're teaching grammar. And I said, yeah, I I think I'm pretty good at it. And she was like, really? Conjugate the verb is. And I was like, okay, is, are, what? And I, you know, go through it and she goes, now do it in the past participle. And I mixed, I missed up the third person one. And uh-huh. she was like, yeah, keep trying. Ooh. And that stayed with me. That really stayed with me. Or Especially I thought, oh my gosh, as a writer. These... Because you're a beautiful writer. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Wow. But yeah, it just really stayed with me. And, and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, these poor kids are paying for me to teach them. And I just screwed up conjugating this one word. But there you have it. So I have learned to only share my joy with some people, not all people. Oprah has some wonderful things about that. And she was, I heard this thing a while back and she said, don't be wasting your gallon on pint-sized people. If you're a gallon-sized person, you don't waste your sack filling up all those little pints. You find other gallon people that are going to fill your bucket too. Oh, that's so interesting. You know what I wrote in my journal? ones that um I don't know if it's quotable so I'm not saying quote this but it's helped me a lot (laughs) I wrote in my journal uh, people always say don't go to a dried up well for for your source for your refueling for your water it took me years to realize that so many members of my family of origin were not dried up wells they were deserts oh oh and I think that's really true for some people that are in our lives and we keep going to them for approval for recognition for love and it's not even that they're a dried up well they were never a well to begin with they're just a desert they're just a they're out there no hope of a valley or water or spring and you can't go to them thinking you're going to get the pat on the back i don't look at that as i'm sorry sorry go go ahead no 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 go ahead we're like those little chipmunks. I should edit that out because we always do that. I know. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Who's on first? Who's turn? Um, no, but I don't look at that as, a, oh, pity me. Isn't that a shame? I look at that as a source of empowerment. Yes. Because if no one's going to pat me on my back, well, God damn it, I'm going to pat my own self on my own back. 
but also you you are so spot on with this because a lot of times we were conditioned with family of origin stuff and I'm not blaming family of origin outright, but it might be that you were the shy kid in school and couldn't raise your hand to answer the question you knew the answer to because you were just too sensitive to, to put yourself out there. It could be that you had a weight issue or you had, you know, something that made you self-conscious. It could be any of those things, but now it's the time to, to rewrite that tape. And it goes back to what we keep saying is there's no room or time left to be around people that aren't putting wind in our sails. And mm-hmm. I, I think breaking that is, is everything to be able to step into our true power and light, which is what we're all trying to do right now. You know, I think it can not just be your family of origin. Like you said, it can be your peers. Yes. When I was teaching at the community college, I had a group of men in my class. They were in jail at the time. They were all gang members and the judge had ordered that they go to these classes while they were serving their time. Okay. They were all lovely men to me. Um, one of them was incredibly brilliant and just got stuff, like just picked up stuff so easily. And I could see all these lights turning on in his head. It was intoxicating to watch him because you knew, you just knew that no one had ever turned these lights on for him. And I'm not saying I was turning on these lights. No. It was the reading, it was the reading material that we were doing. He was resonating with these books we were reading and it was making him think. And I was a new teacher then, so I didn't know all the teaching strategies that I since learned. So, for example, if I asked a question like, well, how did you guys feel when the character did this? If nobody raised their hand, I would call on him because I knew whatever he said would be like pearls coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a teacher no-no. You don't call him the same person. But I was a newbie. And everything that came out of his mouth was like poetic and exactly what the author intended. One day he said, "Miss Faye, can I see you after class? And I was like, sure. So, Everyone piles out, and he says, uh, look, I-, I like you. I like this class, but I like my buddies a hell of a lot more. You've got to stop calling on me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't. I What? You're like the smartest kid I've ever taught. And he's like, they're making fun of me, and I'm paying the price for it, so please stop calling on me. Oh, and I was man. like, okay. And so I stopped calling on him. He stopped doing the work and he finished that class with either a high D or a low C. I can't remember. But he sabotaged himself to stick with his peers. And that was, I think that was 1998 or 1999, a long time ago. And I still remember it. But I think that that's indicative of what a lot of people do. They don't want to stand yeah. out. They don't want to be different. They don't want to be in the limelight. They, and I think you're exactly right. It can be even more. So, you know, people will, will blame, oh, well, look what happened to him. His, and they might come from a really wonderful, nurturing, kind home, but the peer stuff was too much to deal with. So mm-hmm. we, we we don't know everybody's story. We don't get a judge card on that. Don't you think there's judgment if you rise above your class in your family? Oh, damn straight, yes. Yeah. Sing of the choir with that one, girl. Yes, very much so. And that can intensify this imposter stuff because if you've 
if you're choosing a life path different than your family of origin or different than the way you were raised or different than your socioeconomic background, that's another whole batch of stuff as an empath. Well, let's, let's take a little break to tell people about our webinar and yeah. then we'll talk about some of the fears of success and how to overcome this. Perfect. So I just wanted to mention that you are listening to The Enlightened Empath with Samantha and Denise. In May, I'm going to be teaching a webinar called Be Your Own Psychic, where I teach people how to awaken to their psychic abilities. We're going to go, be going over the clairs, chakras, psychic tools, how to use cards to enhance your readings. And each week, you're going to be partnered up with someone new from class to practice these abilities and skills. It's really fun and interactive. And then in June, Denise and I are teaching our beginner's mediumship class the four Thursdays in June. All of the classes are on Thursday evenings from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The great thing about it is that we teach our webinars over Zoom, which means you can access them on your phone or your computer, so you don't have to be stuck at the house sitting in front of your computer. You can be sitting in your pickup line for your kid's soccer practice and still join in and participate in the class. And if you can't make one night, we do record all of our webinars and email them to you the next day. And again, just like with the Be Your Own Psychic webinar and the Mediumship 101 webinar, you're partnered up each week with someone new from class to practice your skills and learn how to raise your vibration to make that connection to the other side. And you can find all of that information on my website, samanthafay.com, and Denise's, which is thegratefulmessenger.com. Anything else I should add about those classes? No, no, and we have had a few people sign up for the mediumship already, so that's starting to fill up. It's a lot of fun. It really is. And if it you really have, is. it's a way, it's a, what I love the most about it, it's a very safe, nurturing environment to explore your own mediumship and to enhance your skill set. And we've, I, I can't think of one person that has taken the, the intro class that we do that hasn't um, fine-tuned their skills and, and really stepped up. It's beautiful. It's a fun, fun thing to do. I agree. And I have okay. fun teaching it, too. So, <laughs> me, too. So we'll post links to that on our Facebook page as well. And you can find us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths. Okay, um, so back to the – go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say before we go into, you know, how to – step away from imposter syndrome and into succeeding and what your level, what success looks like to you. You know, there's a couple different personality types or labels. I hate labels, but we're going to use them anyway, that tend to, like if you're a perfectionist, you might set such extremely high expectations for yourselves that can intensify these, these uh, imposter syndrome. Um, if you feel like you, you need to be the expert that you have to have, oh, well, I know a lot about this, but you, you keep researching, you keep watching, you keep learning. You never feel like you have enough to actually jump out and do the work or write the book or do the talk or play the music because you always feel like there's one more thing you have to learn before you're ready to do that. Natural genius, if, it, if things, and I think this is one that's overlooked a lot, don't you? That if you just naturally are very bright, creative, capable, and life comes really easy to you for everything, then all of a sudden you really want something and it comes hard, it throws you off your game. 
Mm, yeah, I can imagine that. I haven't had many things come easy to me, but I can imagine that. <laughs> me either, but I've seen other people in my life that I've, I've noticed that with. Uh, and this one is embarrassingly true. If you're a soloist, uh, where you feel like you have to do everything yourself. I have to defend that for those of us who, who have <laughs> this issue is it may be that you've had to do it yourself because there's been no one to pick up the slack or help or you've been let down. But I think it's a workable thing. Like you can, you don't, maybe one baby step would be allowing someone to help you with something that you don't have to do it. The whole delegation thing. And then trying to be superwoman. Yes, I, I have a full-time career. I am the perfect mother. I volunteer 74 hours a week and doing that. Like the people that are, God love them. They are so amazing but they're they're always constantly like if i'm not achieving something i'm not being successful i'm not doing anything i'm a fraud mm, do you think that's yeah. a good mix of descriptions of people that really suffer from this i do i think that is a good mix and i, I have a little anecdote for the superwoman thing because early on into being a mother i realized oh, i was not going to be superwoman and so i really tried to flash forward to the end of my life and i tried to think what would matter to me? Would it matter to me that I had given my children all the money and opportunity in the world? Or would it matter to me that I had given them all the love and time in the world? And the latter is what I chose. And so I did surrender a lot of aspects of my career willingly and happily so that I could be a better mom to them because that's what's more important to me. No judgment to the moms who work 90 hours a week to give their kids everything. It's just a choice, in my opinion. Which is the perfect segue into what does success look like to you? Because right. that's, that's the key. Your success is different than mine, is different from... But that's, that's the whole thing. That's the number one way to break this imposter syndrome, but also to my own humble opinion, do what you really came here to do is to decide what that is that's success for you. About a week or so ago, and I was walking the dogs through the woods, oh, is this what I should be doing, blah, blah, blah. And then I stopped for a minute. I literally stopped in the woods and said, out loud, Denise, this is exactly what you wanted. It's the middle of the day. There's no one on the trails. You're enjoying the beautiful woods with the dogs. That is success. That is one of my favorite things in the world. Whereas before it was rush home, grab the dogs, go to, avoid people on the, they'd be, because everyone was getting out of work, they'd be going to those trails. That's a stupid little thing, but it's huge. It is huge. And that's why I think we need to redefine our definition of success. Why is it always connected to accolades and money? Right. I think success is having a happy family. A success can be in embracing and, and working on your health or being a spiritually minded person. I think we need to redefine what success is. Well, and for, for the longest time, my success came through academic achievements. Get the next degree, do the graduate work, get the certification. And I, I thought about that a lot. And yes, it was with what I was doing for a living. But as a small little person, when I went, went to school, I, was six, I did really well in school. I was, I was bright. It was easy for me. And I think that that 
set the tone for what I saw as success and what I didn't have self-doubt about because I could study harder, I could work harder, I could learn how to do it, but I had something that was mine that I was good at. And I think sometimes we will get on a path or think that it's that next degree or it's that next achievement and that keeps us going, but it doesn't fill our soul in it all, all the time. I agree. It does not. And so what we need to do when we're talking about success is think about what fills our soul. And sometimes the answer to that for many of our listeners might be, I don't know. Right. And that's okay too, because just asking the question, you will find the answer. I heard something really cool on a show I was watching. They said that the subconscious mind or the ego, however you want to term it, is always seeking answers. And so if you just ask your subconscious mind unanswerable questions, it will spend its time seeking the answer. So if you don't know what success is to you, you can just ask the question. I remember when I was teaching and I started to not enjoy teaching as much as I always had, I looked at my day and I looked at, okay, when am I happiest in my day? And I was happiest in my day when I was in my little office with no windows because I was low on the totem pole. So I had a windowless office, a little desk lamp. I'd play NPR and listen to classical music and I would grade my papers. I hate grading papers. I, do you know anyone who likes to grade papers? No. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I never liked it. It took a lot of time. But that was the happiest part of my day. And, I, and so I kept pushing to get to the root of that. Okay, why was that happy? And I realized it was because I was alone. And then I thought, oh, I like jobs where I get to be alone. I like working in solitude. And then that kept helping me get to the root of where my joy was with work, which led me to entrepreneurship and working for myself. So start just to look at your day and think, where are my happy spots? Is it when you're in meetings and talking to everybody, when you're out at lunch and you're sharing ideas, or is it when you're working alone, busily on a, on a project? I don't know, but I think asking those questions can help a lot. And forget about what other people think. That's, that's yeah. huge. What is it? For yeah, you? easier said than done, but huge. So I did some research for this show on the fear of success, because what I have found so much in my readings is that what's blocking people isn't a fear of failure, but is a fear of success. Like for me, there's at the end, like when I do readings at the end, I always do a Celtic cross spread with the tarot just to see if it validates or ties anything in with what I've been saying. And the Celtic cross spread, the, the second to last card is the what's blocking you card. And what's interesting to me, it, it, well, it represents your greatest hope and your greatest fear. So to me, that's what's blocking you. And so often the star card or the sun card will show up there. And those are two cards of happiness and success to me. And so I started to explore that with clients. And I would say, okay, here's what this card means. Here's what it means in this position. Do you think you have a fear of happiness or success? And nine times out of 10, that's when they would start getting emotional because it hit home. Wow. So I, I just think it's a very powerful fear that so many of us have 
And I don't think we share it with a lot of people because it sounds kind of odd. I have a fear of success. We're all comfortable saying I have a fear of failure. Who's not afraid? Who's like, I love failure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that many, many times it's the fear of success. We feel that we don't deserve success. Success in our mind equals change, right? Any success is going to involve change. If it's a new job, that's change. If it's a promotion, that's change. There's new work, new responsibilities, new things to learn. If it's a new relationship, that's change. If it's starting a family, change is involved in that. If it's a bigger house, that's change. You got to sell your old house. You got to move. So any success is going to involve change and people get uncomfortable and squirrely when they think about change. I think a lot of people fear money and I think people equate money with success. I think a fear of money comes from a lot of different root sources. Like we were talking about, if you were raised in a blue collar family that took pride in that, oftentimes extending and reaching beyond that does invoke shame or retribution in sarcastic comments from family members that people will avoid. Mm -hmm. I think often we equate wealthy people with not so nice people. I mean, gosh, the Bible, you know, what is, what is that quote? A, A camel can fit easier through the eye of a needle than a wealthy man can get into heaven. There's all these things in the Bible about how awful wealthy people are We see on TV wealthy people getting arrested for this and that. And so I think it sends a a subconscious message to ourselves that wealthy people are awful. Well, if I want to be successful, i.e. wealthy, then am I going to change into something awful? Mm -hmm. So one of the things I do believe is an important anecdote to that is to start to look at all the wonderful things wealthy people have done and look at all the really good wealthy people that are out there because there are so many. Luckily, Denise and I have met a lot in our work and we've seen the beautiful things that they do often anonymously and in private. And it's taught me a lot about the good that wealthy people can do. Many people fear success because of the societal reactions and responsibilities. Like, oh, people are going to expect more of me. They're going to think I am this, this, and that when I know I'm not. I think that many have negative beliefs that are connected to themselves that self-sabotage that, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Many are afraid that they'll just become a different person. And I think this is rooted to, haven't you known people that have achieved a lot of success and then you see them 10 years later and they are kind of different? They're a little snobby, little snooty. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that makes people, yeah, and I think that makes people feel like, oh, I don't want to turn into that. But if you think back, maybe they were always a little snotty and snooty, but they hit it better. Or maybe it's their insecurity. That... Yes, their imposter syndrome coming out. Yeah. Now, I was reading um, this article in Psychology Today, and she gave some questions you can ask yourself to see if you have a fear of success. But before I get to those, she said that she quoted in that article a study, and I would love your your opinion on this. She said, PTSD people and anyone who has suffered significant trauma often subconsciously connect the feeling of excitement that we connotate with, that we associate with success 
to the same emotional connection to their trauma and therefore avoid success. She said our bodily, I know, she said our bodily reactions to fear are very similar to our bodily reactions to the excitement connected to success. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have connected those two. No. But, okay, so here are some of the pointers to think about if you fear success. So people who fear success do not like the spotlight. And I I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think I'm the only girl who, like, dreaded her wedding day. I did not want to be the focus of attention. Were you like that? Yes. You weren't the only one. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I don't, I want to hate the thought of everyone flying in just to see me. And, oh, I just, I just did not enjoy that. Um, The other thing, what if I garner trolls, critics, and mean people? Mm-hmm. I think that's really true. Like if you get promoted to a, to a top spot at your company, you are going to get trolled critics and mean people. And I think part of accepting success is it just accepting that that comes with the job, no matter what the job is. What if I can't deliver what's expected of me? That goes back to imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. What if success turns me into something I don't want to be? What if I become successful and don't have time to do all the things I love? Hmm. I've never really thought about that one, but that is true for some people. So many times you would think of, if I'm more successful, chances are I'll have more resources and I'll be able to afford and have, you know, you'd be able to have other people do the things that we we have to do ourselves now, or you'd be able to take those vacations or have the experiences, but that's not always the case. Yeah, I agree. Um, Another sign that you are fearing change is if you say to yourself, I don't want everything to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Refusal to set goals, perfectionism, turning down responsibilities and opportunities. I think that's a really key one. I think I've seen myself do that and I've seen other people do that. Yes. Staying in jobs that you've outgrown. Mm. Mm. I think a lot of people do that too. What would that look like, Denise? Can you share? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so so what this fear looks like in day-to-day life, procrastination, not speaking up, not speaking out. Uh, Here's one that I never thought of, and I do this a lot. You work on several projects rather than focusing on one. Isn't that interesting as a fear of success? So you're diluting, I guess, your expertise and, and focus by working on several projects. Makes but you're sense. tricking, at least in, in my mind, you're tricking yourself because you're like, well, I'm working on this, 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 and that. But I guess she's saying that the key to success, um, oh, and I'm sorry, this, these notes are from an article written by Kushla Chadwick. So I'm moving on from the Psychology Today research. She also says you, will, um, you still have the same goals as you did 10 years ago. That one I'm not sure about. I don't think that's so bad. I guess it depends on the goal. Right. My goal 10 years ago is the same as it is now, is to be more location independent, to have more freedom in my life, to have more, you know, all of the things that I've been working towards. So I don't, maybe it's the more specific goals they're talking about. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Easily distracted. If you are easily distracted, you may have a fear of success because you're allowing yourself to get that 
focused off the the prize, the end goal, the the success that you're actually trying to achieve. If you second guess yourself a lot, never think you're good enough. And here's a good one. You're on the verge of success and then something goes wrong. Oh, oh. And that could be subconscious self-sabotage. That happens to me a lot too. I'm just having this, this whole flash of people that I know in my life and myself and situations and circumstances and how many of these things apply. Let's hold up that mirror a little closer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't procrastinate with work. I procrastinate with adulting. Like, for example, I have all this stuff to do with my house since the hurricane. Mm-hmm. And my insurance agent just called me yesterday. And she said, okay, I've submitted your certificate of your new roof. And now I just need you to call the whoever my actual insurance like whoever is doing my roofing policy she said you have to call them and ask them why your policy isn't going down with this new roof because it's staying the same and it shouldn't and I thought isn't that kind of your job Mm -hmm. but I was like okay I hung up the phone now meanwhile I've got my kids at the house because we're on spring break they all have friends over it's a full house I've got to get some lunch in the oven for them I don't want to you know what you know how awful it is to call those 1-800 numbers and get to the exact person that can help you with this exact weird question yeah it's a big time commitment I hate it and I just didn't want to do it and then I thought no stop procrastinating those annoying things and so I put the lunch in the oven and I went into my room and shut the door and I made the phone call and it wasn't painful at all and I got it done so I think that that, though, if you, if you do procrastinate on, because I don't think anyone would describe me as a procrastinator. Mm-mm. It surprises but me that I, you're even saying that, actually, because you always seem like you're I, right on it. Like on top of it, yeah. But with stuff like that, I do procrastinate, and I'm trying to, to fix that. Now, not speaking up and not speaking out, I'm, I'm okay with that. I've learned to speak up and to speak out at work. What I have also worked on really, really well is speaking up and speaking out with family stuff and with friends. So rather than, you know, if a friend says something that kind of loves me the wrong way, rather than just swallowing it and holding on to it, I will say it now, but I'll say it in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who's working on this as well, and she's been at the same job forever, and she knows she has a fear of success. But there's extenuating circumstances. She needs this job for benefits. You know, there's always those extenuating things. But she went into her boss and she said, I know that she waited for like a time when he wasn't busy. She, you know, she planned this out really well. And she said, I know that you value my work and I want you to know how much I value working here. But I was doing some research on what people across the country make in my position. And I'm falling short by 33%. Wow. And she submitted him these documents and she said, if you could just take some time to consider giving me a raise, I would really appreciate it. And he said, yeah, I'll bring this up with the board and I'll get back to you in a week. So, you know, she's still waiting. But that's a big step, just speaking out about that and stating her needs. And she did it very nicely and kindly and wasn't like, I need a raise. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are ways to do this for those of us who feel uncomfortable sharing our truth. There are ways to do this that are 
more in alignment with who we are. But I do think we have to push ourselves to speak up, speak out, avoid procrastinating, focus on one goal at a time. I think doing some of these things will really, really help. Don't you? I do. I think making a plan, have a plan and then task analyze, do specific, take a baby step. Um, and I think those little baby steps, you're, you're making it happen. And on a, an energetic level, you're putting it out there to the universe. Okay, I'm ready to step up and do this. I'm ready to try. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to break these patterns. And I, you know, I have to jump back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in the, in the episode is finding those people that support you, finding those people that you can, who are genuinely happy for you as you become successful, as you break the imposter syndrome, as you really, because it, it's, I was talking to a lady the other day, I went doing the reading and I don't know what I'm supposed to do and, and on and on. And then there was this obscure little thing that came through and her whole energy shifted and she was so excited and I felt it and, and it just changed the whole dynamic of the reading. It was an intuitive reading, not mediumship. And what she was so excited about, I would rather go and have a root canal. I mean, it was just like, oh God, I would hate to do that. But it just brought into perspective, that's her success. That's her level. That's what she wants. And she didn't, at first she started kind of, uh, oh, well, nobody would really want this. And I don't know why. And I'm not that good at it. But her energy and her plan and everything so supported that she could be highly successful with this, this change in her life. And I think sometimes we hold ourselves back because we don't think what we have to offer is enough. Mm. No, I think those are excellent points. Find people who genuinely support you and truly want to see you succeed. Yes. And, it, and again, sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes that can feel hard. People might be listening to that going, I don't know that. That's mm -hmm. okay. Put the intention out there. Add it to your prayers and those people will show up. I think that as we keep asking ourselves, what is my level of success? Is it that I have more time with my children, that I have X amount in my bank account, that I get to go to the islands twice a year? It doesn't matter. None of that really matters. Don't give up on yourself and don't give up on what you really want to do with your life. And I know that sounds like, oh, and then click your heels, but we don't get a do-over. No, we don't. And to think about whose rules are you following? That's a really good one. Yeah, I I, I, this is something else I'm going to share again from my journals. This is something else I wrote in my journals because I've really been working on this topic in my own personal life. I wrote, sometimes I think the best thing you can do is follow all the rules and still fail because only then will you see that the rules are all an illusion, a creation of an insane world. Follow your heart. That's the only way to true joy and success. Oh, oh, that's a tweet that. right there. We need to tweet that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that after my divorce because I remember thinking, son of a bitch, like I followed all the rules. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was a great mom, a great wife. I was a great worker. I did this, I did this, and it still didn't work out. And then I thought, were those my rules I was following? Whose rules am I following? When I started asking myself that, everything started to shift in really happy ways. It's mm -hmm. a good example. It's a really good I example. I just think that we need to think about making our own rules. What is our own happiness? If happiness for me is, you know, sitting at my 
desk and drawing for an hour while meditating, if happiness is for me is playing the Tibetan singing bowls and journaling, well, then so be it. Walk on and be happy. If happiness for you is going out with all of your friends and watching the sunset, well, walk on and do that. Do you know what I mean? But but who says at the end of the day that you have to do this or be this or check this box or have the white picket fence? Who says? I think we need to make our own rules. Now, there's um, something else I wrote in my notes for this show. There's a, a psychoanalyst, and I cannot say his last name. His name is Dr. Paul Verhage. It's V-E-R-H-A-E-G-H-E. So I don't know how to say that. Okay. But he said, around the turn of the millennium, the focus on discovering yourself shifted to perfecting oneself. That really stands out to me because he was writing about how for centuries we've been trying to discover ourselves and poets and philosophers and writers have been helping us do this and now in the 2000s we've lost that and we're focusing now on perfecting ourselves but again perfecting yourself based on whose whose rules right whose whose definitions whose ideas and i don't know like what's i've known a couple of people in my life that i would describe as perfect i know nobody's perfect i know that's not i know that's an illusion but I have known a couple of people who are pretty damn near close to perfect. I don't know that there's something so great about that. Mm-hmm. It's the imperfect people that I think are the most interesting. If you think about it as you're, you're, the, you're your thumbprint, we're all unique. We all have something different to offer. And, it's, and to tie it back in with being empathic, I think that's even more pronounced. Mm-hmm. I do too. Now, something I think about a lot, Denise, before we wrap up is, is a fear of success or failure, the imposter syndrome, not stepping into our power, is some of that connected to our family line? If you come from a long line of people who have always played it small, is that contributing to your inability to step into your power? And I don't just mean family of origin. I'm talking epigenetic stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. is it in our DNA? And that really stays with me because I think about there are very, very few stories on either side of my family that I can look to for like, oh, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Don't you envy people who have these like awesome family histories? Because I always think (laughs) at the end of the day, you can lean on that and you can think, wow, if my grandfather can do this, and build this, well, so can I. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have that, it makes you think, hmm. And then I think I think I was, I don't know if I was sharing with you on the phone or you on the show, because you and I have been looking into some research for a show on epigenetics, but they have proven that, like, let's say, for example, your great-grandfather died in a drowning accident. You might have a fear of drowning. Cellular memory? Cellular memory, that's right. So um, this is something else I wrote in my journal about my fear of success. I break any cords of failure, all vows of poverty, all curses and ill wishes. I got to honor the Romanian in me. (laughs) Directed Directed to me and my family and ancestral family in all directions of time. Oh, that's very powerful. I think it's a good idea for people to consider that because what if some of that 
past failure from centuries ago is still in our DNA in some way. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Scientists might be listening to this laughing hysterically. They might be peeing their pants as I'm talking. <laughs> but <laughs> there might be some truth to that. All right, so some fixes. So some fixes that we can do. One of the things you can do is write down all the negative beliefs you have about yourself and ask, is this true? This is something I did years ago, and it was really, really helpful. My therapist had me write them all down and then turn them into statements and then refute them. Do you always procrastinate? Are you afraid of being the focus of attention in every situation? Have you always refused opportunities? So look at all these facts and think, is that true? Is that true? And then ask, why do I believe this about myself? There's a story I, I think about all the time. I was, this is years ago, like maybe 10, 11 years ago, I was on the phone with my mom and she was kind of being mean and, and kind of attacking me, you know, as she's wont to do. And I hung up the phone and I felt really yucky. And I just sat down in my little chair that I meditated and, and I just closed my eyes and, and I asked my guide, I'm like, what the hell do I do with that? Like, how, you know, like, how do I set boundaries with that? And all I heard in response was, you are Chinese. Hmm. And I was like, thanks a lot. You're really helping me there, buddy. <laughs> and he said it again. And I, and I was like, I am not Chinese. And then I heard, then why do you believe all the falsities she tells you? Oh. And that really stayed with me because... If you are hearing negative feedback from family, from friends, from coworkers, from your boss, or from yourself, you are only owning it because a part of you is believing it is true. Mm -hmm. And that's what needs to be pulled out by the roots. And so sometimes just writing them all down and asking, is this really true, can help. Think about past successes. Just go through a little life review while you're walking or exercising or driving to work. Think about any past successes you had and really evaluate them. How did that feel? What work did you put in to feel that success? What things led up to that success and how can you repeat that now? Another thing you can do is accept the feeling of being uncomfortable. Speak out in meetings, stand up for yourself with family, tell a friend when your feelings are hurt. Start to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable in small daily ways. Say no more to others and yes to yourself. We talk about that a lot. Pick one goal and give it your all this year. Pay attention to your inner critic. Write down the negative things that you're saying about yourself and avoid procrastinating. Explore the root of your fear. Why do you really fear your power? What's at the root of it? Pull it out by the weed recognize that you are part of something bigger. And I think this is really important for those of us that have a fear of success. The more that you do and have, the more you can give. Right. That's and big... I think recognizing that, I, I had a client who came from a very, very poor family and raised himself up to be a very, very wealthy man. And he said, I overcame my, he, he never called it a fear of success or a fear of power. He said he had a fear of money, you know, that his family always called him rich people are greedy, mean, and terrible. And he said, the more money I made, the more I gave to my family, the more I gave to my church, the more I could give to random people that needed my help. 
he's one of those people like he'll be in a restaurant and the waitress will say, you know, she's putting herself through school or something and he'll leave a thousand dollar tip. He's one of those guys. He's so generous. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that he taught me. The more you do and have, the more you can give back to others. And I think that's really important to think about. Right. Those are all my fixes. Those are beautiful fixes because what it comes down to is being courageous or brave enough to not be perfect, to try, to put yourself out there, to take that step, and also to 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 like yourself enough to allow yourself to be successful. I think that's huge. That's quotable. Say it again. <laughs> Anyway, this was, I think, a, from a lot of times we do our shows, it's because it's, it's been coming up in readings, it's been coming up in conversations, it's what we're going through personally, so I hope that this has helped other people hold the magnifying class up a little bit to say, okay, this is what I need to work on, and this is what I need to release so that I can more fully step into my power and do what I came here to do. I, I agree, and you know, just... Just to close out, I always think about those hundred monkeys. You know that story of the hundred yeah. monkeys in Zambia who started using a tool and then a hundred monkeys in Asia started using the tool and it taught us about the collective consciousness. Well, what if a hundred of us start to embrace our power, start to embrace our light and our success? Think about how we can turn on the lights for so many other people throughout the world. And just think about that as you go throughout your week. The more that we awaken, the more we allow others to awaken. So we, we are each a part of this whole, and it's important for us to embrace our power, embrace our light, and shine on. So thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on this show. You can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths. Don't forget that we are on YouTube and Spotify, as well as iTunes. If you like our show, please tell a friend or consider taking a moment to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps people to find us and helps to grow our show, which we would really, really appreciate. If you want to sign up for our webinars, don't forget I'm at SamanthaFay.com and Denise is at TheGratefulMessenger.com. In the meantime, please remember to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.